Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Katherine Miller. Divorce Dialogues brings expert guests to the airways to talk through your divorce questions and fill in the gray areas about separating. From thinking about divorce, to how to behave during divorce, to what to do after, this is Divorce Dialogues. Welcome to Dialogue on Divorce. I'm Katherine Miller, the founder of the Miller Law Group and director for the Center for Understanding in Conflict. I am on a mission to change how people divorce and help them divorce with dignity. And my guest today is Dr. Alexandra Solomon. She's a staff clinical psychologist, a member of the teaching faculty at the Marriage and Family Therapy Graduate Program, and a clinical assistant professor of psychology at the Family Institute at Northwestern University. Her work has been widely cited and appears often in O Magazine and Huffington Post, and she's a frequent interviewing contributor for the Oprah Winfrey Network, Yahoo Health, The Atlantic, CBS Early Show, NPR, Psychology Day, and WGN Morning News. Welcome, Dr. Solomon. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for having me on. And one thing that I understand that you've written about and talk about, which is of great interest to many of my clients, and that is dating after divorce. A lot has changed for people in recent years, between before and after marriage. And so I thought it would be really interesting if we could talk about that today. I think it's a great topic for sure. So what is your general advice about it? Or what is it you think people should know about dating after divorce? It can be so, I think, challenging to sort of be back, you know, out in the market. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Right. Um, Well, especially for people who, you know, who are in relatively longer term marriages, the whole dating climate has changed so much with the with just how common and normative it is to use technology to find love, right? Dating apps are really normative, really commonly used. So even just that piece of it, sort of the how we look for love is really different today than it was, you know, 5, 10, 15, 30 years ago, certainly. And so sort of like even that basic layer of how we look for love is different, not to even mention um, all of the feelings and identity kind of pieces that come into play when we put ourselves back out there again. Yeah, well, let's not just skip over that because that how, that's a huge difference. <laughs> <laughs> the how is a biggie. Yeah, and I think that it's so easy on the one hand to sort of access the dating world, and I think it can be overwhelming, but also can be really, for people who are at the end of their marriages, you know, when the other person's like, well, I got a, you know, I saw on the credit card that it was, you know, match.com or JDate or, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just like, because it's so easy, it often can be really kind of a huge affront and a harbinger of the end of the marriage. Yes, certainly. One of the things that we see really commonly in our clinical work is the whole intersection of technology and our love lives is fraught any point in the game. And and one of the big issues that comes up is boundaries, right? And so you're citing an example of, you know, if it's not crystal clear to both of them, they're getting divorced and one of them is, you know, already engaging in sort of online dating searches, that certainly is a boundary violation. And yeah, certainly would feel feel like a betrayal and would feel really hurtful. So I don't want to spend too much time focusing on that because I really, I know you have a lot to say about dating on the other side of divorce. And, and I know that I, like I stopped you here because I think that it feels like an onslaught of possibility can be really daunting. Am I wrong about that? No, you're right about that. There are a few sort of, I think, tips and suggestions when 
um, when somebody who is coming out of a marriage is thinking about wanting to start dating again, one thing to say is that we don't need to have a dating app, right? There are lots of ways to meet people. And just because there's a flurry of conversation about using online tools, there's no obligation that anybody has to use one. If somebody does decide to use one, I think that the rule of thumb is slow and steady. Just because in this day and age, you could go on five first dates in a week doesn't mean that you should. It's like especially for our single again people, kind of slow and steady, letting yourself dip a toe in the water, you know, is the way to go here. And the sort of bottom line that I talk about with my college students, my graduate students and you know, single again people is to really keep in mind that those online tools are simply a means to an end, like nothing more, nothing less. It's a way to get you from here to there. And the there is a first date, you know, in a public space where you're having conversation. That's where relationships begin is face-to-face. When we have all of that data that we need about how I feel in the space with you and how our conversation is flowing, I think one of the risks or pitfalls of these online tools is we can get stuck there, kind of circling around and around with a little hey text here and a hey text there and a what's going on and a what's going on. And relationships really can't take off in that screen-to-screen space. So I think a really good good rule of thumb for everybody is just to, to view those online tools as, like you're saying, it's a possibility. It, it opens up many possibilities for how to meet somebody, but to really do the first uh-oh. So we seem to have lost our guest temporarily. I'm sure we'll have her back momentarily. But what I think the Dr. Solomon was saying is that a couple things. One is that to use the apps with discretion and to not overcommit to time or expectation in terms of managing the the use of the app and how it's done. And another thing is that, and she hadn't quite gotten to this, but I think that one thing that a previous guest of ours has said is that it's a good idea to think of it only as a date. And uh, Dr. Solomon, are you back? I am. Mm-hmm. So I was saying that another uh, earlier guest of ours who was a dating coach, and that's what she does, you know, she said also to think about each of these dates, you know, as just a date, you know, <laughs> It's not, it's no more, no less. This is not like a marriage proposal. And so to manage it with sort of some perspective. Well, right. That's right. And I, I think a really important thing to say here is that I don't know if there's any segment of our population that is as flooded with sort of unwanted <laughs> advice and opinions as people who are single again. I think that there's, you know, every person who's coming out of a marriage has a community of people Luckily, right, that's lovely to have people around us who are supporting us, but oftentimes the people around a newly divorced person can be quite intrusive and opinionated with their take. Oh, it's too soon, you shouldn't want to date again, or you definitely should get yourself out there again, or I have this guy to set you up with, or I have this gal to set you up with. And so I think the chorus of opinions and voices can be quite loud, and I do a lot of work helping the person who's newly divorced make some quiet space so they can listen to themselves and they can hear themselves and have tools for how do you check in with yourself? How do you know if you're ready? It doesn't matter if your mom thinks you are or your best friend down the street thinks you are. It's about really how to tune into yourself. I think that's that's a really, can be a challenge for somebody who's newly back in the the market. Dr. Solomon, do you have any 
hints for our listeners as to how, how to do that? Because I think you're absolutely right that I often say to my clients, listen, you will have a lot of people who feel free for some reason to offer their opinion as to what you should do or not do it during this period of time in your life and try to take their love and their support and leave their advice <laughs> behind because mm-hmm. it's likely to be bad advice. Yeah, right, right. Or just, or it doesn't really matter what they think you ought to do with your life because you're the one, right, at the end of the day, you know, you're right. the one who's going to live with your choices. Well, I mean, I, you know, I've been a therapist for 20 years, so clearly I'm a strong advocate for therapy. I think that therapy coming out of a divorce can be a, a very powerful tool. One of the risks I think of coming out of a marriage is one of the pieces of work that I think is important to do coming out of a marriage is really working on the story of the marriage, the story of me, the story of you, the story of us, how we met, how we came together, and how we fell apart. And having a really rich, nuanced, multi-layered understanding of that chapter, whether it was a long chapter or a short chapter, of what the marriage was and what the marriage wasn't and who you were and who you weren't within that marriage is really important. Because one of the risks could be, I have to just get myself out there, and I have to find somebody who's the opposite of my ex-wife or my mm-hmm. ex-husband. And to me, is a little bit of a red flag and a cue and an indication that, that some work is needed around really understanding what happened within that marriage, who I became, and who I want to be now. And so focusing on ourselves, it's so much more important than focusing on finding the quote-unquote right other person. And do you think, I mean, I completely agree with everything that you've said, but do you think that it can be a risk to focus on myself too much as a sort of, I don't mean to sound too jargonistic here, but, you know, sort of defensive in a way, say, all right, well, I'm not ready to go out there yet, and to put it off for too long, I mean, is that a risk also? Yeah, that we end up feeling really walled off and closed yes. off and afraid to try again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's there's research that shows, you know, just how very real heartbreak is. Like when we are suffering emotional pain, we suffer it in the same the same parts of our brain fire up or light up as those parts of our brain that fire up when we're in physical pain. So the line between physical pain and emotional pain is really like there's no point in even trying to figure out which is which. Hurt hurts, emotional hurt grieving the loss of a marriage is massive. So there is, I think, a risk of like not giving it the time and space it deserves, just diving headlong into another relationship. But you're identifying that there's a risk on the other end of the spectrum also, just getting stuck, getting stuck in the heartbreak, getting stuck in the grief, getting stuck in the pain and sort of the victimization. And so that's a place where therapy or a supportive community can be helpful in terms of honoring. We need to honor our pain and tell our story and bear witness to our hurt. And we need to move through and figure out, okay, what's the next, what's the little sort of half shade braver that I need to take? Like, what does the smallest step of moving forward in my life look like? And it may not be a first date, that may not be, but it may be whatever it is, a gym membership or the painting class that you never took or the thing you never try within your marriage. But there is sort of a recreation of the self and a reclaiming of the self. And so there may be eight steps that need to happen first before that person can even imagine sitting down face-to-face over a glass of wine and having a date. Yeah, I think that's very well said. 
This is Dialogue on Divorce. I am Catherine Miller. We are here every other Wednesday from 5 to 5.30 on WVOX and WVOX.com. And we are also available as a podcast on my website, www.westchesterfamilylaw.com, as well as on iTunes and SoundCloud. And my guest today is Dr. Alexandra Solomon, and we're talking about dating after divorce. And Dr. Solomon, what other tips do you have for people who are considering dating following the end of their marriage? Well, I one of the big... So if somebody is um, ready to go out on that first date, I think what happens sort of the before, during, and after a first date is really important. I think in terms of the before, I, I mean, I, I think on the one hand, I agree, like a first date is just a first date. Like it doesn't have to be, we're not talking about a marriage proposal, but to just honor it. And if you're feeling nervous, let yourself feel nervous and name that and own it. Of course you are. That makes so much sense. <laughs> and to kind of, kind of do what it takes to feel as good as you can feel. As if, you know, rushing, I think some people find it helpful not to kind of rush to a date from work to kind of go home and have some time to be quiet and ready themselves and just have a lot of self-compassion for whatever it is that's coming up. The excitement, fear, the sadness, the joy, the anticipation, just to be very gentle with yourself around. It makes so much sense that, of course, you're feeling all of these different, sometimes opposing things, right? How can I be excited and terrified? Well, because you are. That's just the nature of the thing. And then when we come home from that first date, I think especially for women, I think it's so it's so in the nature of women to make sense of their experiences by downloading and debriefing with somebody else. Mm. But because of what we were saying before about like the chorus of people who are more than happy to chime in and tell you how you should be living, I I love the idea of women especially coming home from that first date and just being quiet for a little while, just savoring and sort of mining their own reactions their own thoughts, just sitting with, how do I feel in my body? How am I doing emotionally? What are the thoughts I'm having? What did that, what was that like for me? How did I feel in the space with that person? And just sitting with that before picking up the phone and downloading with a best friend or a, you know, sibling so that the experience is really your own. Because again, the thing that is most important for a person in the dating world is being able just to access and tune into their own experience. That's interesting. Do you think that journaling is a good way to do that? I love journaling. Yeah, I love journaling. I, you know, there's there's science behind the fact that sometimes we don't know what we think or what we feel until we put it down on paper. And so journaling is just like a really free form way of whatever words and images and ideas and thoughts kind of come to mind, just filling that all out is um, that process is integrative. It helps us make sense of what we've just experienced. And something as big as a first date, we need some time and space to make sense of what that, what that was like. Yeah. Especially when you've been out of the dating world for a long time. Oh my gosh, for sure. For sure. All right. So processing your experience on your own after a first date, or I guess that would be good advice after any date. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, what else would be good, Dr. Solomon, as a tip for dating after divorce? Well, um, I think one of the other common concerns that comes up for people who are back in the dating world who have children is how to how to pace all of that, how to pace yeah. a new relationship. And some of that is you know, spelled out in people's joint parenting agreements and it's sort of simple and easy. But I think that I think that it makes sense that people who are in the dating world, who are in the active years of raising children, they are looking for a romantic partner and they're looking for a potential 
you know, co-parent. And I mean, I think every, you know, everybody is right. When, when somebody's 25 sure. and they're dating, they, if they're dating to, in order to develop a relationship, they probably are thinking about that person as a partner and a potential co-parent, but there's something so much more real and lived about people after divorce who are dating again. And just to, just to be able to name that. And it's, and it's okay. It's okay that as you're, as you are assessing the goodness of fit of how well this person would fit in your life, you are imagining the degree to which they are a good partner for you and you could be a good partner for them, but also that you're assessing kind of how you imagine them being as a step parent to your children. I think that's really natural, normal, and okay. Yeah, I am actually a stepmother and as well as a mother and went through that whole blending family thing and it's really not easy and really requires, and I don't mean it's in, impossible, but it really requires attention and work to do it well. That's my own personal experience as well as the my observation of my clients. And it takes years. Oh, yeah, absolutely. To blend a family. And it's a time for a lot of self-compassion and a lot of empathy. But, of course, it takes our kids a long time to get to know this new attachment figure and to let them in. And, of course loyalty issues are going to come up. And of course, boundary issues are going to come up. And so I think it goes back to our own healing post-divorce and the degree to which we can carry within ourselves a nuanced, multi-layered story of our marriage and our divorce is the degree to which then in our new partnership, we can just hold on to all that complexity versus doing this thing where we have to say that our new partner is the best and our ex-partner was the worst. My new partner is everything. My ex-partner was nothing. Those kinds of either or, win, lose, good, bad, splits don't serve us very well. And so it's always a red flag for me when I notice myself starting to think of it like I'm the victim and they're the perpetrator. I'm good, they're bad, or they're bad and I'm good, you know, whatever it Mm -hmm. is. That's a red flag for me that I'm flipping out of something that's more mature, more nuanced, and more, and it can hold more shades of gray, which is hard. It's hard to ask somebody who is divorced to hold on to shades of gray about a marriage that ended, but it's really important to do that in order to kind of set ourselves up to date again, to partner again, to blend families. Absolutely. You're listening to Dialogue on Divorce. I'm Catherine Miller, and we're talking today with Dr. Alexandra Solomon about dating after divorce. And Dr. Solomon If our listeners want more information about your work, where can they find it or contact you? Sure. Well, I have a a new book that just came out recently called Loving Bravely, 20 Lessons of Self-Discovery to Help You Get the Love You Want. And I've heard from a number of readers that the book feels comforting and healing and helpful around for single again. It is basically a deep dive into self, understanding who you are, what you bring to the table relationally so that you can bring your best self-love. And so it's a book that we can read at age 20 or 25 years old, and it's a book we can read coming out of a marriage as well. And that book's available wherever books are sold. And my website is www.dralexandrasolomon.com. Great. Thank you. And so what about sex after divorce? (laughs) (laughs) I, I think people probably wonder, you know, you know, how does that happen? You know, whether that the same age old questions, if a man buys a woman dinner, does she owe him, you know, sexual favors and responses? Is that something people should worry about? Has that changed over the last decade or two? Mm-hmm. 
Boy, I have a, a colleague of mine here in Chicago. Her name is Bella Gandhi, and she runs a Smart Dating Academy, and she's got hardcore advice about this for her clients that she works with, and she calls it sexclusivity, that there is no <laughs> sex until there is an exclusive arrangement. And I, you know, I, even though I'm in the business of doing therapy, I shy away from advice, and I more so help people connect with themselves so they can make choices that serve their highest good. But I can really see where she's coming from with this because the bottom line is that sex is never just sex. And we can think that it's very simple and it's just our bodies and that we can do it without emotion or meaning. And we can't. We can't. There's always meaning. There's always layers. And that men and women both deserve to have sexual experiences that really elevate them, that heal them, that expand them, that support them, that nurture connection between them. And so certainly those scenarios that you laid out, does she owe him sex because of dinner? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. That she ought to enter into a sexual experience with him at the exact moment that she feels ready, at the moment that she feels like she can bring her full presence to the experience, at the exact moment where she feels like she can communicate what she finds pleasurable what's within limits, what's not within limits, at the exact moment where she feels like there's enough mutual respect between the two of them that if and when things go funky, because they always do when it comes to sex, that they can have a laugh about it and they can be gentle with themselves and each other about it. And so there needs to be kind of safety and familiarity in order to create an experience that's really mutually pleasurable. I think that I see it with my college students and I see it with my 50-year-old single again, people, that there's an expectation that we ought to just be able to hop into bed and create something that's really hot and really sexy right at the beginning. And the truth is that sexual chemistry is something that's forged over time in the space between two people. And it does need, it needs a kind of safety and a kind of trust that I can communicate with you what feels good and what doesn't, and that you can communicate with me what feels good and what doesn't, and that we can create something together that feels playful and enhancing. And that's a heck of a lot to expect from somebody on their first date or their third date, you know, coming out of a long-term marriage. So, and It sounds like what you're saying is you think that these rules apply to men and women, even though culturally we might not think so. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, don't even get me started on men and sex. I mean, there's, there's so much pressure <laughs> on, on men around sexual performance. It's cruel. It's limited. It's limiting. And it's, I think it's only worsened by the fact that now we all have access to high-speed internet pornography 24-7. And what we see in pornography is, is quite removed from the lived experience of a truly intimate expression between two people. So, yes, I think that men get us trapped in this idea that they have to score, quote-unquote, in a way that doesn't, doesn't serve them either, that what... I think by and large, what men crave around sex is what women crave around sex, which is something that is that feels safe and erotic, passionate and playful. Uh, and that's as true for men as it is for women. Because I think it's really interesting because the idea of dating after divorce eventually does lead to both this idea of sex, I mean, this, mm-hmm. the reality of it, and marriage, right? I mean, like they're sort of on this path and it's not really just, I mean, that's kind of the the date is the first step towards something like that. And it can feel so huge and, and intimidating with, if that's how you look at it. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. And I think, I think sometimes for some people, what feels really good is to find somebody who is 
in the same place as you are and they're not looking for something serious. And I think sometimes coming out of a long-term marriage, especially if the if there hadn't been sex for a long time or sex that was really not pleasurable and not safe, I think it may feel really healing for somebody to say, I'm looking for a casual sexual experience. Are you? And if the other person's like, yes, I'm really looking to have a casual sexual experience as well. And they can co-create casual sex, a sort of no strings attached, attempt at an arrangement. I think it's probably as likely that they may end up falling in love and getting married anyways. <laughs> but I've <laughs> certainly heard stories about people who are single again and what they really need is just to experience themselves sexually again. And so to me, as long as it's um, sober or mostly sober and totally, totally consensual and there's lots of ability to express what feels good and doesn't feel good, I have no problem with people who are single again playing, playing for a while, like having some sexual partners, having um, some sex that, that feels like it's an expression or a reclaiming of lost parts of themselves. Um, so, so I think we're just about out of time. Dr. Alexander Solomon, thank you so much for being our guest on Dialogue on Divorce and talking about dating after divorce. It's been great having you. Thank you for having me on.